was the most significant birth in the history of the world. And it was testified to by the first-hand accounts of those who witnessed it. Join us as we investigate the perspectives of the witnesses to the birth of Jesus. Hi. My name is Zechariah. Some call me Zachariah or Zacharias, depending on what region they come from and their background. I'm a Jewish priest. Things haven't always been easy for my people. It was over 700 years ago, about 700 years ago anyway, that Isaiah gave his prophecy when he said, to us a son would be given, and that the government would be upon his shoulders, and that he would be called Emmanuel, that he would be our Messiah wonderful counselor, almighty God. But then there was the Babylonian captivity. And then, well, we returned from exile. The temple was rebuilt. It was rededicated. Things seemed good. Then came the Persians. The Persians wanted to wipe us out, but God raised up Esther. So we weren't wiped out. And then came the Greeks. Antiochus Epiphanes. What was that? Maybe 160 years ago. 160 years ago, he defiled the temple. He made it illegal to circumcise our children or to practice Judaism. So then came the Maccabean Revolt. We took back over the temple, but soon corruption came. And then maybe 60 years ago, Pompey came and the Romans took over and now we live under Roman rule. Sure, we have King Herod. And I appreciate the fact that King Herod has expanded the temple and done work on the temple, but he is much more of a political figure than a religious one. He's prone to rash acts of violence. I, I tell you all that to give you a background from, from Isaiah. about 500 years ago, and the rededication of the temple, to the defiling of the temple, to this moment, to tell you about my perspective on the birth of Christ. You see, before Christ was born, my son John was born. And I want to tell you about that. You see, as a priest, 
twice a year, our orders go up to serve at the temple for about a week. Well, we were called up there to serve, and there are a lot of priests. There are a lot of priests. So they cast lots to determine which priest will get to burn incense in the sanctuary portion of the temple. And according to the Mishnah, you can only have this once in your lifetime. It's a once-in-a-lifetime experience. And it came to me. So I went into the temple, and an angel appeared to me. And I was terrified. And he said, do not be afraid. Your prayer has been answered. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give birth to a son. And then he went on to talk about how, how the son should be named John. And how he would have the spirit of Elijah, that he would do the works. He wouldn't be Elijah, but he would live in, in the spirit of Elijah and prepare the way for the Messiah that he would turn the people back to their God and the children back to their fathers. Well, I told you that we'd been waiting a long time for a Messiah. I haven't told you yet that my wife and I had been waiting a long time to have children. We prayed and prayed that God would grant us a child and Elizabeth had been unable to have children. We knew this wasn't a curse from God. We'd not lived perfect lives, but we did live God, lives that were pleasing to him. So I continued serving as a priest and praying. And we were past the age of having children. And so when the angel said that your wife Elizabeth is going to have a son. I didn't believe him. So I said, how can, how can I be sure of this? And the angel said, I came to bring you good news, but because you do not believe, you will not be able to speak. And from that moment, I couldn't say a word. People outside the temple were waiting, as you were just waiting a minute ago for me, I understand. And they were saying, what's taking so long? And when, when I came out, I, I couldn't give the customary benediction because I couldn't speak. I could only make motions. They came to understand that I'd seen a vision. Well, when the service time, period of time ended, I returned home to Elizabeth, and shortly after that, Elizabeth became pregnant. And then we had a guest, a visitor. One of Elizabeth's relatives, Mary, came to visit. Mary was engaged to be married, and she told us that she too had an angel appear to her and that 
The angel told her that she would give birth to the Messiah. That she, as a virgin, would give birth to a child. And here's the thing. Our son in the womb leapt for joy. In the womb, the baby leapt for joy. And and Mary gave us a word telling us telling us about the coming of the Messiah, her son. Well, Mary returned to her home, and we awaited the birth of our son. When the baby was born on the eighth day, we took him up to be circumcised and to name him. And they asked Elizabeth what his name should be called. And she said, John. And they said, that can't be. There's nobody in the family with that name. They didn't believe it, so they came to me. I tried to motion. That didn't work. So I motioned, give me something to write with. And I wrote his name is John. The Lord is gracious. That's what that name means. His name is John. Instantly, I could speak again. And the Lord gave me a word to share that my son would prepare a way for the Messiah, that he would preach a repentance, a change of heart that leads to a change of action that he would point them to the way to get forgiveness for their sins. Do you see the significance? So many religions, you have to work your way up to God. But our God was was coming to us. Baby Jesus, fully God, fully man. Oh, God truly is gracious, is he not? So so why was my son sent ahead ahead of him to preach the message of repentance? Because until you see the greatness of God and the greatness of your need, you do not appreciate the greatness of God's grace. Until you see the greatness of your God. And oh, I saw an angel, and let me tell you, it was marvelous. And there's myriads of those who serve our God. And until you see the greatness of your sin and your need, you won't see the need for a Savior named Jesus. So my son, John the Baptist, went ahead to preach the message of preparation to prepare the people for the coming of the Messiah. What things have I learned? First of all, Keep praying. Keep persisting. Sometimes we feel like it's too late. My dream's done. My prayer's done. There's no need to keep on. I say keep on. God breaks in just when we think that there's no hope. Does he not? And in a moment, everything could change. So don't give up. 
Second. Prepare. Prepare in your hearts room for Jesus to be the forgiver of your sins, the Lord of your life. Prepare the way. By living in such a way that you prepare others to come to know Jesus. In a moment, everything can change. We don't have to lose hope. Here's the thing. I now can speak words, but I still can't find the words to describe how great my God is or how great his grace is towards us. But I would say this to you. Our God is a, God, a great God of love and grace, and we desperately need him. We all need to repent. We need a change of heart that leads to a change of direction. My son was sent to preach a message of repentance. Some see repentance as a, an angry thing or a harsh thing, but repentance is the ability to get off the wrong road and on the right road. And that is an amazing gift. And Jesus came to provide the way for us. So as you sing and as you celebrate Christ's birth, remember what Christ has come to do. I told him today we have a little longer word of benediction as we reflect a little bit about the drama today. I want to just share a little bit of the perspectives that we're going through. We're going to next time do the innkeeper and so forth. I found it beneficial sometimes to think back what it would have been like for them. I encourage you, you saw on your connection card, to read the first chapter of Luke. Luke was written by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and Luke tells us he did it with eyewitness accounts. So it's not a made-up story, it's real. And he wrote it for Theophilus and for all of us. And so I encourage you, if you didn't even if you didn't do it on your connection card, to make a commitment to read Luke chapter one. Will you do that? Second thing I want to have you think about is oftentimes we start the Christmas story and we confuse our Zechariahs from the Old Testament prophet to the New Testament. There are 28 people with that name in the Bible. Did you know that? So that, that's something to take into account, okay? And I think a lot of times if you're, if you're new that, to reading the scripture, great, we're glad to have you. And I would encourage you to start maybe with the Gospel of Luke and, and read it. If you've read the Bible several times, uh, you know that every time you read it, you get a little bit more understanding. Is that true? I don't know about you, but I'm extremely impatient, are you? And when I hear, when I think about how long it was between Isaiah's prophecies, right? and the coming of the Messiah. That's a long time, isn't it? I think traffic lights are too long sometimes. Okay? 
Does that help us to understand that God's view of time is not our view of time? It, it struck me as I was preparing this, there were things that I, that I hadn't thought about in a while. For example, how God sovereignly placed Zechariah where he was meant to be that day. By lots. Now, there's some discussion about what lots were, or the casting, are they like dice, or like rocks with stuff written on them? You can enter that debate if you'd like. But I think the importance is that God controls even that by his power. Nothing here, by the way, is suggesting you should go cast lots to try to decide all your decisions. And, and that amazed me. I think there's a tendency to read the Bible as if they, they were not real characters. And I love the fact that they're so real. And in fact, when the angel appears to him, think about it, an angel appears to him, and he still doesn't believe. Right? That, that struck me. Another thing, and, I, and I, we could walk through the verses and chapters of Luke 1. I hope you will do that. I would also encourage you to do some reading about the time between the Old Testament and the New Testament, especially with Hanukkah coming, which is a celebration of what happened in the Maccabean Revolt. It's good to know that history, don't you think? Because I think when we get that backdrop, it helps us better understand what was taking place at the time of Jesus' birth. Maybe the biggest theme that came to me as I was preparing this was the theme of repentance, that John came to prepare the way, and he preached a message of repentance. And what struck me was this. There, there is a balance here. At, at one hand, on one hand, we do not want to assume that people's greatest need, or even believe that people's greatest need is moral reform, first and foremost. What they need most is to be made right with God. Amen? And we shouldn't expect that people will be able to live like Christians before they become Christians. Is that true? We'll, we'll say that a lot. But I think it's interesting that to pre prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah, John the Baptist comes and presents a message of repentance. And I want to say to you that I believe the Holy Spirit often uses conviction, a sense of guilt, to bring us to God. Is that not true? And so I wrote in my notes, which I couldn't really put in, 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 uh, in the drama, I wrote in my notes that God, greatness needs to be seen, and man's sinfulness. And the way I put it is, until our sin looks hideous, 
our Savior doesn't look precious. Does that make sense? And, and until we see, you know what? My life's not okay without Jesus. It's not all right. We do a lot to pretend that everything's okay, that people don't really need a Savior. We bury our head in the sand to the realities. I tell you, I take a look at history, and I look around and I say, mankind is capable of some pretty wicked things, are they not? I think it's a good thing sometimes to raise up the standards that God asks for us, and, and then we start to realize, I, I can't meet those on, the, on my own, and that's why I need a gracious Lord and Savior to forgive me and to empower me. And we believe as Christians that when we surrender our lives to Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we're forgiven, we're saved, we're being saved, and we will be saved. Is that what I mean by that is, even though we're saved, we've still got work to be done by God's grace, through his power, but we haven't arrived. Amen? But we will, because he who began a good work in us will bring it to its day of completion. And it was encouraging to think about the story all the years they waited. The Lord will return. Amen? He will bring victory. I was reminded of what the Apostle Peter said when he said that there'll come a day where people say it's always been the same. Jesus isn't really going to come again. And what does Peter say? God is not slow as some count slowness, right? A thousand years or is a day, a day is a thousand years, right? But it isn't wish that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. I think God knows exactly the number that will come to him by his grace. And we prepare the way for him by sharing the gospel and the truth of what Jesus came to do. Amen? We're doing this thing in Edmonds for a while, make kindness normal. And, and the idea is to try to say that we understand that we should be nicer to one another and love one another. True? I was out with, lunch with, with some guys when we were talking about it, and I said, the truth is we all, we all know the world should be kinder. And then I leaned over the table and I said, and you know, if we're really honest, wouldn't we say that we should be kinder? What's the answer? John the Baptist preached a message of repentance. He said that change was necessary, and in Christ, change is possible. Amen? And I think about that because when I was a little guy, we went to church occasionally, but it had no impact on our lives. And I remember going to Sunday school and being told you need to be kind to your neighbor. And there'd been a lot of stuff that happened in my life as a young boy. And I was angry and I didn't feel like being kind. And I needed more than just a message that said be kind, didn't I? I needed someone to set me free from my own pain and wounds, my own sins, and change the desires of my heart. I was a young kid, eight years old, sitting in a movie, when in an instant I knew what I needed to do, surrender my life to Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior.
So we drove home. My mom told me that I think the basic theme in the movie is, if you're good, you'll go to heaven. And I said, Mom, I'm pretty sure, and this wasn't because I was some super smart kid. It's because I believe the Holy Spirit revealed it to me. Nobody's good enough. That's why we need Jesus. Amen. This sermon is from Edgewood Baptist Church. You can find more information about us online at ebc-edmonds.org. Thanks for listening.